It's Thursday, uh, October 17th. Welcome to Pints and Politics. Our last session, our last panel discussion before uh, Election Day on the 21st. Pints and Politics is a bi-weekly discussion program of all things political. Come to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. We're on the air every second Thursday at 7 until December 12th. At the end of this program, I'll give out our podcast site and social media addresses. Joining me tonight in oh, our politics panel is Property Manager and businesswoman Jenny Lancio, Curve Lake First Nation Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair Sean Conway, former Mayor of Peterborough and Peterborough This Week journalist Sylvia Sutherland, editor, writer and podcaster Donald Fraser and playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington. Thanks all for joining us in Studio A here at Trent Radio. Well, when two-thirds of this panel was last in this studio two weeks ago, at the end of the program, I managed to blurt out, so what do you think is going to happen? And our consensus was that nationally this election would deliver a liberal minority. Um, but as far as our own Peterborough Kawartha riding goes, we collectively sat on the fence. Our verdict was it was too co- close to call. So let's let's start with that at the top of the batting order. Has anything changed, either nationally or locally? What's our call today? I think it's, uh, if I may, uh, I, th- I think it is uh, a liberal minority or a minority. A minority is uh, even more likely today than it was when we were last on. Given the statement by uh, the leader of the Conservative Party today regarding who should form a government after the election, dependent upon the number of seats, I suggest their internal polling probably indicates that the Conservatives may merge with more seats. We can discuss, I'm sure we will later, what in fact does happen uh, by the rules of Westminster. If you, uh, the Prime Minister is still the Prime Minister, but I think, and locally, I think it's still too close to call. Uh, I think there's very little signage, comparatively speaking, and I think Mr. Skinner is running, as could be predicted, very well in the county. I'm not sure about uh, the current member, Ms. Monsef's strength in the city. It's going to be a very interesting night locally, I think. You said yeah. at the beginning, of, <clears throat> Bill, what's the biggest change in the last couple of weeks? Biggest change is the rise of the block, which has mm-hmm. which has mostly damaged the Liberals, but has put us into an almost guaranteed minority situation. You know, when we're going to spot anywhere from 25 to 40 seats to the block in Quebec, which diminishes the pool for everybody. Um, a lot of those seats will be taken from potential liberal pickups. You know, will be taking NDP seats uh, to a large degree, but they were seats that the liberals are hoping to get. So we are looking at minority situation. You know, Sylvia, you talked about, you know, what's going to happen depending on who wins as many seats. And if we do get into that conversation, I just want to say that because I've been talking to you know, constitutional academics about this, and it is true, the rules of Westminster and the Prime Minister can ask for the you know the confidence of the House. However, I, I, the only thing I, I think we need to add to that discussion is that, I mean, think about the world we live in right now. And if you think the Conservatives win by one seat and aren't going to scream across social media that it won't be the cover of every single major paper in this country, that they deserve it. I mean, think about the hanging chads in Florida. Add Twitter to that, and yes. it's going to be as ugly as possible. Locally, uh, I'm not sure. Sean? 169 is the magic number. 
and no party will win 169 seats. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's been an interesting horse race and to see where things are going to end up. I have been watching too much news to be good <laughs> for myself, um, more so than I think I ever have. This is a really interesting mm. election. Locally, I think the horse race is the horse race, and I think beyond that, our conversations about and predictions about a minority government really doesn't factor into the role of Peterborough Kawartha on the whole. Right. I don't think it's going to matter, and really there are writings that I'm watching, and the first one that we'll see on Monday is going to be St. John's East. And St. John's East is going to be, if it holds liberal, we've got a liberal minority, if it swings NDP, as it's predicted to, we'll probably still also have a liberal minority. But it means that there's going to be some serious NDP gains across Canada. The NDP is polling on our our new favorite friend, Philip J. Fournier, is predicting <laughs> the NDP in the second place in British Columbia, uh, in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, mm-hmm. and in Atlantic Canada right now. Mm-hmm. And if we can pick up seats like Halifax, Dartmouth, uh, Coal Harbor, if we can pick up Sackville, uh, Chesicut, and Acadie, then then we're in a really interesting position that brings me back to 1972 and the 60s, where the NDP held the balance of power for a liberal minority, which brought about the golden age of Canadian politics. It did. And, and Sean Conway gets an A for knowledge of ridings other than Peterborough Corth. <laughs> yeah. Everything but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Donald. So let's start with Peterborough Kawartha. And we've been a bellwether riding for, for years and years and years. And if we take a look at the... At the national polls, uh, we do we do see the Liberals and the Conservatives quite a bit in the lead when it comes to the popular vote, um, and we have to we have to take a look at the difference between the popular vote and and seats. Um, and Peterborough Peterborough being a bellwether riding, I think we're seeing the same thing. Uh, we're, we're seeing the two front runners out there, um, and we've got uh, the NDP probably going to be playing spoiler uh, when it comes to to this riding as well as to ridings across Canada. Uh, so I, I think that our, our bellwether uh, our, our bellwether status uh, seems to be holding fairly well, uh, mostly because it's it's impossible to tell who's going to win at the at the national level, and right now it's too close to to uh, tell at the local level as well. Sylvia, I'd just like to interject. We have heard a lot lately on the air about out of the last sixteen elections, fifteen of them have been won by the. Uh, by the party that formed power. Except. You are looking at the 16th. <laughs> In 1980. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I, I'd like to, to add something into what Donald said in that, uh, and, and if he sees the NDP as the spoiler for his liberal vote, I, I would look that most, most polling shows the NDP pulling from conservatives across Canada, and that the majority of it is coming from there. To an extent, also the Liberal Party, but I think particularly in in Western Canada, we look at the Conservative vote, and that soft Conservative vote is going to be going to the NDP because the Liberal Party isn't really an option in Western Canada these days. Right. If we look at the provinces, we look that there's not a, an established Liberal Party west of Thunder Bay. Right. And that we could talk about the British Columbia Liberals, but they're not really liberals. The Liberals, yeah, yeah. and I think that's translating into the national conversation about uh, about who's winning seats. 
Well, yeah. Well, now it's, it's back in the block as well. Well, I think yeah, we should say I I I predict the Quebec uh, the block is going to win a lot of seats. Well, this analogy of Peterborough as a bellwether riding, uh, Taylor Clydesdale uh, last week uh, had an article uh, in uh, PTW, uh, Peterborough this week, excuse me, uh, that said uh, there are 167 ridings in the city. And polling stations, uh, polling stations, yeah, <laughs> and uh, or polls, polls, and, and um, Miriam uh, Monseft won 150 of them. There are 86, I believe, uh, polls in the county, and uh, the Conservatives won 84, s- 84 of them. 84, 84. So it occurred to my dull brain that you know, isn't this like the country? <laughs> Like the nation, that one part is solidly conservative, the other part is solidly not conservative, uh, other parties, and it's almost as if they're two separate places. That's always been the case. And it's right, as very, you said. Yeah. yeah, very difficult for either the Liberals or the NDP. Uh, the county has always been a, a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I said before that the late Stevie McGregor used to know what the Liberals had to come out of the city with in order to overcome the uh, the conservative vote in the county. So some things haven't changed perhaps that much. Jenny. Other things have. Jenny. I just have a question more than a comment to the experts in the room. Is the reason why the local election is so difficult to predict because everybody is equally as good or because everybody is equally as uninspiring? Uh, well, um, Tim Etherton. Well, I, I, no, I, I, I well, actually, no, I, I actually think we have a pretty good roster of candidates. I'm not going to go down that road. I mean, uh, you know, we can, I, I'm just saying that. There's no Jack Meat in that mix. There's, and there's no Justin Trudeau and there's no Ed Broadbent and, yeah, and there are no coattails. Yeah. But <laughs> beyond that, beyond that, um, you know, a couple dynamics that we should insert into this conversation. One is that the conservative vote is, is very, very dedicated and very motivated, which does frighten the other parties. But on the other hand, the conservative vote has not grown throughout the whole election. It's fluctuated within a couple percentage points. And we see that here in the city of Peterborough, where I think the Skinner campaign has been actually frustrated. You know, I think they, the conservatives went into this election figuring they were going to ride a wave of anger against Justin Trudeau. And of course, you know, all the major media supported that. Yes. Uh, all the Twitter bots supported that. Yes. All the other parties have supported that. It has been an ongoing, you know, character uh, assault on, on, on Justin Trudeau throughout this election. And they thought they would be the benefactors of it. They've run a very bad campaign. Andrew Shearer has been a terrible campaigner. So they have been, haven't been able to grow their vote. So they come in 30%, you know, 30, 30 35% nationally, 30, 30 to 35% in Peterborough itself. The election is going to come down, and I, I, I cringe to even bring this up, but it comes down to the same dynamic we see all the time. In a lot of writings, you know, clearly it's between Monsef and Skinner here. Will supporters of other parties hold their nose in sufficient numbers and support Monsef? Because we have, a, you know, a, an issue in this country where we have one party that occupies close to a third of the votes and every other party, which huge overlaps in terms of their policy and their ambitions and their priorities and values, occupy the other two thirds of the population. And so... What we're going to see here will come down to very much a bellwether, you know, how people react. Sean? I think it's interesting when we have a a discussion about the breakdown of votes in the county. Uh, I spend a little bit of time looking at the 2008, 2011, 2015 breakdowns out in the county, as well as provincially. I happen to be pretty, uh, pretty aware of those breakdowns. 
traditionally the party that gets the second amount of votes out in the county will be the NDP in Havelock, um, right. in Apsley. Uh, we won Kinmount in the provincial election, and we mm-hmm. always take Curve Lake by about 67, 75%, right. uh, which is two polls out in the county. If we see a resurgent NDP speaking to working class and rural values, which I think we have, I think that that could be the spoiler for Mr. Skinner, especially if the NDP could pick off a few rural polls, uh, because Tim's absolutely right. The conservative base is not growing, hmm. and it hasn't grown in the last couple of cycles. Okay, Donald? Uh, just an answer to, to Jenny's question. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's less the, the local candidates. Uh, if we take a look... Statistically, uh, a local candidate is between 5 and 10% uh, of the value of votes. Um, and what you have to look at is, is larger trends. And Peterborough is really interesting because we've got this uh, small but weighted urban center when it comes to population. When we take a look at uh, demographics and who votes what, you will see differences in when it comes to Affluence when it comes to uh, how much people make, uh, what they do for a living. Are, are they are they labor? Are they blue collar? Are they white collar? Uh, these things do break down in, in party lines. And the interesting urban versus rural dynamic of the, of the Peterborough riding makes it an interesting bellwether because it does echo the demographics of of the country with that with that urban, rural, blue collar, white collar dynamic. All right, Jenny. Okay. Um, just when we're talking about who people are voting for locally, I'm thinking that maybe this time, or I can speak on what I'm doing, and I'm voting for the federal candidate that appeals to me the most. The local candidate I don't really care about because I don't think that my vote for that person is going to really count for very much. But I I think that just given the fact that Mr. Singh is as dynamic as he has been, Like, he's the candidate I think that people want to get to know, that people want to go and have a beer with. I want to be at his house and eat his Punjabi poutine. Like, I'm I'm in for all of that. I want to get to know him. And I think he's everything that people thought Justin Trudeau was going to be and fell short of. So he has that kind of, like, Barack Obama appeal. He's like a normal, everyday guy. In my opinion. Except Trudeau. Obama endorsed Trudeau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Don't get me started on Barack Obama. No, no, we're not. No, we're not going there. Uh, I I think that if we look at at who's been a great campaigner on the the national level, there have been two people that have really stood out, and it'd be Yves Francois Blanchet and Jagmeet Singh, who have come out of the gate swinging and fighting. And it's going to result in seat count. And I, I do predict that the NDP may lose some seats in Quebec. And I feel the bloc is going to be taking those and occupying a lot of space held by the Liberal Party and the NDP. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jigmeet's campaign style is going to to break down into seat gain in the GTA. Uh, specifically, I'm looking at uh, Parkdale High Park, Davenport. Mm-hmm. Toronto Center, and in Ottawa, Ottawa Vanier, mm. and I'm also looking at Ottawa Center. Those are going to mm. be interesting. Catherine McKenna is going to lose her seat, and I'll put five bucks on it right now. All right. Sylvia? Yeah, uh, just uh, one thing we haven't talked about regarding uh, the local scene or other is the the voting at the college and the university. 
And I gather that was up considerably from what I understand. And that's going to have an impact that we haven't really factored in in the past. And I suspect it will probably be left-leaning, whether it is, or it could be green, could be NDP. And I think that's going to skew things a bit in, in, in this riding, uh, and maybe in others. Donald. A couple things. Uh, I want I want to talk about the, about the block in a second, but I also want to address uh, the millennial vote. Uh, they have the power. They have they have the the numbers to really really change this election. But it's also a crapshoot. Will will they come out, or are they so disillusioned? Uh, I mean, what we're, what we're hearing right now is that this election seems to be a race to the bottom. That um, <laughs> that we're, we're having arguments about, yeah, well, your your leader is worse than mine, and and th- these aren't these aren't things that are pulling out young people. In fact, th- they will probably push them away. Uh, we have to hope that that millennials will see through this and see the importance of some of the major issues that have not been talked about. This this was supposed to be a, uh, an election that was based on climate change, um, and we, we can go through full panels and not hear the word climate mentioned once. Uh, as for the, as for the block, yeah, they're 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 a, they're a, a scary force to be reckoned with uh, because we have um, we have Blanchette who is really got some of that populism that has become so popular uh, with leaders. Uh, there, there's a nationalist bent there um, when you take a look at. Uh, Bill 21, um, and, and the nationalism that goes around that, uh, and he's also, uh, a, I'm gonna say charismatic figure, but it might not be the right one. He, he's, he's full of piss and vinegar and bluster and, and the type of rhetoric that, uh, has become the norm, uh, for winning politicians. Uh, so they're a force to be reckoned with. Tossing, tossing gas line, uh, gas pipeline conversations and, uh, the block is looking pretty solid. Okay, if I could interject a, a slight tangent, and we can uh, d- devote the t- time to this you feel worthwhile, but during this election, there have been numerous eruptions of online rage over who can call themselves a journalist in Canada. Andrew Lawton of True North Media and several reporters, uh, air quotes, uh, from Rebel Media were refused entry to media conferences. The Rebel eventually got a court order and won the right to admission to a press conference. Pundits of all stripes filled our screens with charges and refutations of censorship and repression and denial of free speech. Uh, and two members of our panel tonight, uh, after all, are real journalists. Sylvia Sutherland has a long journalistic background going back decades and currently writes a column for Peter, Peterborough This Week, while Donald Fraser edits a magazine and other publications for and does a podcast for uh, Trent, uh, for Trent University. It seems that this would be a good forum to ask a simple question. Who is qualified to call themselves a journalist in Canada? How does one go about getting accreditation? What does accreditation mean? Could Tim and I, for as ex-Montrealers, call ourselves Poutine Media and Show up at press press conferences to question national leaders. Could we do that for NHL coaches? So let's let's talk. Well, can I just can, can I just I'm gonna let Sylvia talk because she's the most experienced at this. But no, that's all right. But no, there's an opportunity. No, no, there's an opportunity. Um, by the way, I'm launching an online magazine in, in the new year called The Bellwether. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so med- plug, one of the editorial meetings going on at my house right now, but I came here instead. So yeah. I just I I you, since you were talking about journalism, I'm going to do a an, an hey, sh- shameless plug, Sylvia. To you. You know that. Listen, good for you. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the part of the problem, even back when I was in a thousand years ago, and I was studying journalism at Ryerson, in fact, in the in the nineteen sixties, the the whole that whole question was very much alive then and still is, because unlike we were told, we really weren't a profession. 
that because there is no professional body to accredit journalists, and uh, so it's an occupation. It's not a profession. It's been an, uh, it used to be a lot easier, I think, in the old days when you had print media and you had radio and television. You didn't have the blogs. You didn't have the social media, etc. It simplified things somewhat. But I think if um, if if my inclination would be certainly to admit rebel media or anyone else who works for an organization that dispenses news and uh, that may be too simple but on the other hand we we don't it in the old days i i have to, at home i still have at home two press cards one from the aurelia packet and times and one from the toronto telegram i had a press card i could get into a press conference uh that i suspect they don't even have those anymore but uh, if if rebel media i may i may be appalled and offended as i am by their positions by its position on on issues but th- that does not mean that they should not be ad- admitted to a press conference to ask questions and to take i don't think uh, any position they wish donald there there is no national accreditation and uh this this is done uh, event by event organization by organization uh and, and there's a, there's a few standards that they go for are you representing uh, a recognized media? Uh, do you have Do you have a letter of assignment saying that you are supposed to be there covering that story? Uh, if you're If you're an independent and you don't actually work for uh, for a national or local publication, have you been published elsewhere? Can you Can you show where you've been published? So it is It is based on on where you've been represented. Uh, so it's not, that's very much the case. And, the, and you still do get press cards, although it's usually done, again, by event or by organization. Uh, I love getting my press passes because they're usually for concerts or events where I get to hang out in the front row. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're, they're still a great perk. But when it comes to, when it comes to the Rebel, uh, it, it's one of those things of we are, we are making a decision on is the Rebel actually a journalistic publication or are they an uh, organization with an agenda, which is a, a slightly different thing. Uh, and so it, it boils down to whoever is organizing that to make that decision. And, and sometimes it doesn't go in the rebels' favor. Okay. Jenny? I know that, Sylvia, you had mentioned that you wanted to touch on this, but we have local media that is right. real media, if yeah. you want to call it, that have printed some tasteless things Mm -hmm. during this election Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where you draw the line. Well, uh, yes, it is. Uh, Hopefully they're real media. They're both uh, owned by the Toronto Star. Uh, (laughs) uh, And what we referred to, and I think it's worth looking at, it's not directly in response to this, but uh, it was a picture that appeared in and a story in the Peterburg Examiner. Uh, The picture had originally appeared online around with three other pictures. And it was of Mike Skinner in a limousine taken a number of years ago, his head through the top, holding a beer. So what? Right. And I, I think uh, I think the examiner, quite frankly, I am... That came out of, apparently, that came from a supporter of Miriam Monsef. It did not come out of the Monsef campaign. Right. And I think it was a mistake for the Peterborough examiner to print that picture. The decision was made by Peterborough this week not to. And it lowered the level of politics... But it was a decision made, obviously, by the editorial staff or the editor of the day at the Examiner to do that. And that, to me, was not news. Right. And it's a shame it ran. Sure. 
I'd like to just circle back into the rebel before the uh, other guys jump in on on this. But uh, the uh, court may have ordered and, and allowed the the rebel to cover um, this election. But by under no means does a leader have to answer a question yes. from the rebel. No, yeah. Nobody has to answer a question. You don't yeah. have to answer a question. If you and a couple did not answer yeah. questions. At uh, the, Jagmeet at the, Singh among yes. them. Yes. And yeah. Blanchette. And Blanchette. Yeah. It, if, if we want to jump back to uh, to the the Mike Skinner uh, photos, uh, the the person who you're right, the person that brought them forward is, is not part of uh, is not part of Ms. Monsef's campaign, no. although is an ardent supporter. I think some of the problems with those pictures aren't quite as simple as I'm just having a beer. Uh, first of all, someone was smoking a substance from a can. Um, I had a, I had a pretty adventurous youth. Uh, if you if, <laughs> if you if you sure did not run the one uh, if, smoking a substance from a can. If, if you no, it, no, it wasn't. The, the other problem is that um, is that uh, Mr. Skinner was there. There are some issues around the dates. Um, if they are when they, if the pictures are from when Mr. Skinner says they are, it means that he's hanging out with minors, uh, and he's their boss, hanging out with minors, and people are doing drugs in a limo. Um, and and so, I can see why the story is is. Can be seen as salacious. There's there's more to it than Mr. Skinner having yeah. a beer uh, in, in the. But back of that was not explored in the story. The only this part that, if I recall correctly, that was explored in the story. And surely we have more important issues than what somebody did twenty odd years ago. Whether or not whether or not it's putting on brown face or whether it's in a limousine with a beer, and the, the latter being perhaps the less the the. The issues you have just raised, Donald, were not explored in the story, and I think, fortunately, in a way that they weren't. And uh, to me, it, it was lowering the level of local politics, and I think, and, and also, I think, a bad journalistic decision. I, I somewhat agree with you. Uh, first of all, if you're going to, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you if you're going, if, you, if you're going to tell the story. Tell the, tell the whole story. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that there was a problem there. Um, I, I'm not necessarily saying that that story should have run, but what I was saying is that it's a little bit more salacious than than. Yeah, but you're repeating. Uh, you're repeating. It looked as if etc etc. The story that ran sh- it. it well, it's just, I, I'm sorry, it was just wrong to run it. I Sylvia, I'm not going to argue with that, but we're talking about this. Let's be clear about this. It was a it was a, a, a pop can that had been folded down and was used as a pipe. There's two things you would use for that. It would either be hash or it'd be crack. And they were sitting next to Mike Skinner smoking. Now, that was 20 years ago. That part, you smoke tobacco that way? Not hash. Hey, okay, could have been weed. Could have been weed. <laughs> But chances are it wasn't. Um, and, and listen, I'm with you, Sylvia. I really don't care if that happened 20 years ago. But let's the, the reason and the rationale, at least let's be clear about the person who put that forward, is Mike Skinner had just made a statement about illegal drugs and what the he, he repeated some talking point from the conservatives about Trudeau allowing illegal drugs to children, you know, and underage people. And there's a picture of him on a Facebook page of someone smoking illegal substances next to him, probably when they were underage. So Tim, that was the problem. Tim, that was not the story that ran. I know. I realize that's not the story, but I'm saying now that we're bringing it up, let's be clear. That's why it was originally put out there. What the examiner did was different. Okay, sure. Just a quick point of order with uh, regard to uh, (laughs) points of order we take with regard to legislation and and perhaps the things that Mike was talking about uh, is is that in in Canada now with the cannabis legalization, uh, youth Mm. of uh, 16 cannot be charged with possession. Bingo. And they can they can maintain uh, pot, which if you talk to most parents, 
do you want your 16 year old hanging around with uh with a bag of pot no, I just think the bottom line is the picture was from like 12 years ago. I would be frightened to go back in my camera roll 12 months ago, much less 12 years ago. <laughs> you, you know what? Like 12 years ago, yes. I might have voted conservative. But when you know better, you do better, right? Like people change. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Okay. Now, I'm going to agree with that. But just have to be clear. This is the discourse in this election campaign. Yes. This election campaign has been predicated on digging up past stuff on Justin Trudeau, which doesn't mean this two wrongs make a right. And I'm with you, Sylvia. I would prefer election campaign that didn't do any of that. And I'm okay. with you, Jenny. I don't bring these things up. But let's be clear. For the conservatives to suddenly get all offended and wounded about this, this has been their election campaign, is them and their associates digging up anything they can on Justin Trudeau and spreading rumors online. To the point that they issued they issued a press release um, so, alluding to um, events that did not happen with Justin, Tru- Justin Trudeau and, and a minor and as to how he lost his teaching position. Uh, I mean, they, they aren't just bringing skeletons out of the closet. They're putting the skeletons in the closet. But so, we have to descend to that at the local level. That's the point. Yeah. Okay, I, I have to interject to remind uh, everyone you are listening to Pints and Politics on Trent Radio. Uh, <laughs> and and it, 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 it's getting uncontrollable. Uh, you're at 92.7 FM coming to you from Trent Radio in Peterborough. We're on every second Tuesday and uh, now back to the election. Well, there's, a, there's about 103 hours left until we get some results. Right. And, and um, we could talk for 102 could, of them. We yes. could. We could, absolutely. I don't even know what we're talking about. Well, can I, I, I have turn to change the conversation a little bit? Because I was saying to Sean before we came in here that... I'm with everyone else, and I and, and exactly what we just talked about. This is a miserable election. The yes. discourse around this election yes. is absolutely miserable, and I don't think it's just this election. I think it's how we do it now, and without going off on a tangent about how our relationship and our culture has changed because of social media and the internet. This is what this is the byproduct of the consequence. However, however, um, as a horse race. As a political observer, this has been a fascinating race. Let's just step back for a second. Remember, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the rise of the Green Party, right? And and what they would do. And the Green Party has you know plateaued and then declined. Yeah. A week ago, it looked like the NDP was taking off like a rocket. It looks like they've plateaued now, right? You know. And so we have all these different phases of the election. Uh, the bloc who were written off as dead suddenly emerged and changed the whole dynamic of the election. Are you um, telling me there's still a chance for a liberal majority? No, absolutely not. It's impossible. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, absolutely we've impossible. Had, we've had clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, uh, who knows? Give it two days. <laughs> but but just just to this point, uh, to, to wrap media, on October 11th, the Examiner had an article on the fake news surrounding, and Donald, you just referred to this, the alleged the alleged uh, sex scandal involving Justin Trudeau during his career as a school teacher. The Let's claim floated yeah, by the rebel and echoed by Warren Kinsella was that Trudeau had to resign from his teaching position because of unproven improprieties. Both Ezra Levant and Warren Kinsella started pumping the gossip handle. The story was utterly bogus. An entire fabrication from start to finish. A smear. To his credit, Kinsella recanted. So my question is, what can parties and, and their candidates do to insulate themselves from this sort of chicanery, this nonsense? I just want to say quickly, we've just perpetrated that rumor a bit further. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's out yeah. there. So, so uh, can we can we 
take a look at on the local level. So we, we have that examiner story, and we, we have the, the story that was told before that. But who didn't take the bait? Well, the NDP didn't take the bait. The liberals did not take the bait. So both uh, both Ms. Monsef um, and... Um, Ms. Shaw. Ms. Shaw, thank you. I'm a bit tired today. Sean knows children. Um, neither, neither of those, uh, neither of those camps took debate, um, and so I think that they're they are showing um, a willingness to to run a clean campaign here. Which kudos to them. Fair enough. I think a lot of the discussion about how how this is you know a, a, a real ugly campaign it's a nasty campaign people are you know digging up i i don't see it as any different as any other election that we've had how so i i personally do not mm-hmm. i i don't see it as as dirty as provincial elections that i've seen as mm. some municipal elections that i've seen and and really for to go to go back to what tim said as a horse race this is amazing mm. for for people like us who like to watch these things unfold. This is really exciting because we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sylvia. I think Jenny was ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, uh, I've been seeing more elections than you have, Sean. <laughs> and I've seldom seen one that's quite as nasty. I've seen elections, you know, that, yeah, they, there was, certainly they're all competitive and, and you try to, you know, get advantage and there have been other elections where they're having the odd rumor. I've never seen one that's quite as consistently nasty at all levels. Hmm. as I've seen this election. And part of it really goes to social media, too. But I want to just, like, go rogue for a minute here because I want to give, <laughs> give credit to a group that I think gets shafted, and that's the millennials. Yeah. Um, yeah. My daughter goes to school in Kingston. There's RMC, there's Queens, there's St. Lawrence. The students that go there, they've lost their OSAP. They've lost their pharmacy coverage. Whether it's provincial or not, they don't care. They're pissy about it. And they're all getting out to vote because this is the first time that they have Mm. felt the effects of a government kind of put the screws to them. So all of those students in Kingston, there's probably a 100,000 of them. They're not voting for local candidates. They're voting for the party. So I don't think we can count out that millennial group and especially the ones who are living away from home right now. Mm. Can I add to that, too? We'll go back to the horse race. This is something which pollsters, uh, Ecos and uh, Main Street in particular, picked up over the last four days. Ever since the sheer campaign tried to sneak their policy under the Thanksgiving turkey on Friday night, which the NDP did as well, by the way, uh, so no one could actually give it any scrutiny. But it did come out they were going to make $53 billion in cuts. And, you know, we'll see what other pollsters. Nano seemed to pick up on it as well. Over the weekend... The conservative vote went down by a percent, uh, several percentage points across the 905, which is where the conservatives are either going to win a minority or not. It's going to be in the 905. And we'll see how that plays out. We're running out of time to look at polls. But exactly what you just said, um, that millennial vote, and where that millennial, millennial vote is going to go, I think, is going to go among three parties. But uh, the fact the fact is there is there is an anti-conservative backlash that has really been reignited. As of last weekend, I think you're going to see them amp up the Green Party and the NDP. The 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 increase in advanced polls certainly speaks to the fact that that millennials and students are engaged. Uh, this I think is, is is pretty big, but that's we don't know. So until we start 
until we start getting the results and drill into the demographics of who voted, we're not really going to know what this impact is until afterwards, which is part of what makes it such a, a dark horse. The other, the other thing that's making this election so hard to pin down is once again the whole strategic vote situation, um, where people are arguing back and forth. Do we vote with our hearts and our minds and our souls? Uh, do we vote strategically in order to, uh, to make sure that there's not a conservative majority? Uh, and it, to a certain extent, uh, will these cancel each other out? Uh, we don't know. And, and when it comes to, to strategic voting, there, there's, there's no roadmap, and we don't know until people are getting into the voting booths what exactly is going to happen. So the, the whole strategic voting argument is also making this uh, election very hard to call. Sylvia. Yes, and just to repeat what I said at the beginning, given Shear's statement today, their internal polling, which Sean and others know is more accurate than usually than any other polling, is showing that they at this moment as we speak have more seats. That's why he made the statement about the person with the most seats has the you know can form the government. Well, that's where that's I think where the discussion and education about the way that a Canadian Parliament works. That look at British Columbia. The British Columbia Liberals in two years ago uh, won more seats than the NDP. Well, what did the NDP do? They they put forward a confidence supply agreement with the Green Party, which stopped the liberals from governing just to go back to what what donald was just talking about so in 2015 we had 70,000 individuals turn out to an on-campus vote initiative put together by elections canada in the uh in this election um we saw that number increase to uh, 110,000 which is a massive increase. Now, if we took, take a look at what the advanced voting does, we saw a 29% increase up to 4.7 million people in Canada voted in the advanced poll already. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, and I believe, I'm not, don't quote me on this, I saw one exit poll. Did anyone else see that? Yeah, I can talk to you. So I think it was a 39% shift to another major party. Yeah, the advanced, the, the exit polls. And the exit polls are far more accurate than yeah. than, than, than actual polls. Yeah, so the exit polls that I saw nationally uh, was a slight advantage to the Conservatives like we've seen in regular polls. In Ontario, particularly in the GTA, was about a 9 to 10% advantage for the Liberals in the advanced polls over the Conservatives, which again picks up on, and I'm not going to, go to the bank with this, but there are a lot of data points right now saying there has been another shift over the weekend as people, and what it is, it may be, going back to strategic voting, which is not necessarily something that's organized, but people saying, no way, I don't want these cuts again, I don't want to, I don't want this to happen, and my safest bet is to vote liberal. Now, I can't say that for sure, but that's what seems to have been bubbling under the surface over the weekend. Now, today on social media, and actually this evening before we went on the air, uh, we, we heard this word that dare not speak its name on this campaign, uh, coalition. <laughs> now, it's a synonym what, for cooperation. Right. So what, what do we need to understand about coalition and sharing confidence? And Sean, we, we had a conversation prior to this in another establishment. Uh, what, what the, does the voting public need to understand about this? First of all, if, if no party reaches the magic number 169 seats watch that that's the magic number for a majority government no party is going to get there right. the so what will happen the minority government the prime minister is still the prime minister and the prime minister gets to test the confidence of the house we do not elect 
prime minister. What does that phrase mean, testing the confidence of the House? If they're going to be supported by the MPs that are sent there to represent constituents. We don't elect a prime minister. We elect a parliament. Mm -hmm. And if that parliament can work together to do something that's representative of a majority of Canadians, they have every right to do so. Okay. The, and I, I just to interject very quickly, I love the idea that you hear you heard the leader of the Conservative Party speak about the fact that it's a threat that these parties might cooperate. I mean, that, that yeah. really... Yeah. Well, it certainly kept the Conservatives out of power for about 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that I suspect was his... And we had, we had a, a really good example of that on t- in Ontario, which, and I, mm-hmm. uh, was it 1985? 85. When David Peter, Peterson. Peterson and Ray in their coalition yeah. government, because if I recall correctly, I believe the Conservatives... Yeah, yeah, we're up by I think one seat over the Liberals or two seats or something like that. I can't, I don't have the, the in front of me. One thing I want to caution before we get in these conversations, I've had a lot of these conversations with people about what the rules of Parliament are. But if you think for a minute that if the Conservatives are ahead by one seat, that we are not going to have across the front page of every major media in this in this country, which is all very conservative leaning. Uh, except for the Toronto Star, I know. Um, and it, Twitter bots, everything huge, you know, the pundit class, which is solidly conservative, are going to be screaming about uh, a coup and about trying to steal the government from the legitimate winners. And and this has been gamed out. The conservatives are preparing for this eventuality. Remember Florida, remember the hang of chads, add Twitter to it, and this is what's going to happen. Sean. It happened in British Columbia two years ago, and the sky didn't fall. Right. Every right-wing media organization in British Columbia and Western Canada turned against the NDP and said they were stealing an election. The sky didn't fall. The government's held, and it'll continue to hold. And you, we know we know that there's going to be pushback because the majority of media in this country leans conservative, but not that many people. But you had uh, you had two. Yeah, con- right, right, right. This afternoon uh, on uh, on on News World, you you had you had two academic experts point out what Sean has just pointed out that and uh, that in fact the prime minister is the prime minister until he loses the confidence of the house. And that could be very soon. That could, if he can't put together a government, if he sees he can't, he can go to the governor general and uh, and ask, uh, you know. We could have an election yeah, in a we month. Could, we could have an election in a month. We are but, going to have an election in the next couple so of years. The, the, sure. Despite uh, despite the screaming in the media, there is the constitutional, uh, the Westminster yes. tradition, not more yeah. than tradition, rule yeah. that he's prime minister right now he'll be prime minister after the election and until he loses the confidence of the house he is prime minister now what is that mechanism just, for uh, testing the confidence of the house i just Can want to be have clear meetings? The, that we are going to see a sea of yellow vests on parliament hill this is this is exactly what's going on again i'm not disagreeing with any of this i'm saying we just have to recognize the age we live in right now conventions mean nothing it's right. all about power grab yeah. And, and, the, and the conservatives will do anything they can to to shut down government. Uh, Harper did it in 2008 when uh, when the liberals uh, tried to form a coalition with the bloc, and then Harper prorogued government. So uh, they, they'll use whatever tool they have at their disposal. And, and, and like you said, they'll use tools that aren't at their disposal as well. Uh, in this case, we have, we have a sitting prime minister and, and they don't have the ability to prorogue, uh, but they have the ability to make a stink. Sean. Well, let's, let's just go back to what the rules are. The people with the power in this are going to be the Speaker of the House and the Governor General. The Speaker of the House is a Liberal member. The Governor General is a, is 
is uh, is likely to side with the government, as is protocol, as is the law mm-hmm. of this country. Uh, there is no precedent for a second party, the Conservatives, to try that first crack at government and to test the confidence. Because if if all's going well, the NDP is going to win somewhere between 30 and 60 seats, and they're not going to prop up a Conservative government. No. But the block may. But the prime minister issue issue on issue, issue, as it should be. That's a confidence supply agreement, which I agree with more so than a formal coalition. Mm -hmm. Because personally, I don't, I don't. I don't, speaking from an NDP point of view, I don't see a formal coalition as being good for the party and, or it being good for the country. I believe a confidence supply agreement would be the way to go. But at the moment, the prime minister, if he wins a minority, he is the prime minister until he faces the confidence of the house. Nothing will change that. You could have 10,000 people out on Parliament Hill protesting from all over Canada. We've had 50,000 people in front of Queen's Park fighting Doug Ford, and it didn't change a thing. Right. Donald. We've, we've had one coalition government in our history, and it was Robert Borden, I think, in 1917, during the first war. Yeah. The whole history of Canada. And I think the NDP would much rather have a confidence supply situation and be power brokers rather than have a coalition because there there are policies that they just find unpalatable. Um, they will do nothing around uh, increasing gas pipelines, for instance. But if uh, they had a coalition, they'd get seats in, in cabinet, no? Well, the, the, other, the other problem is is, is Justin Trudeau has, has not said that he would be interested in a coalition government. He's purposely hedged his, his bets on that one. Right. Um, and, and I don't know that, that the Liberals find a coalition with the NDP that palatable. No, they don't. Right. Jenny? All of these semantics make my head spin. Um, <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> what, what I'm curious about is what we all think is the best-case scenario for Peterborough and the worst-case scenario for Peterborough in this election. Hmm. My personal opinion? Worst-case scenario would be have a Conservative MPP and a Conservative MP. That's my worst-case scenario. We, we would have no one fighting for our rights. Um, yeah, a, a, having Conservative government at, at, at both levels, uh, we'd be experiencing cuts, uh, and we would have no one that would be uh, campaigning for the people who are, who are losing important or essential services. Uh, that, that would be scary. Yeah, just one thing. I mean, obviously, I have my political leanings, so that's why I feel that way. But one thing that did come out in the cuts was an $18 billion from the uh, cut in, in infrastructure investment in the country. And that would have an immediate impact on Peterborough in terms of some of the expansion that's going on in terms of you know pub- public construction and highways and buildings and other institutions. The money that the uh, provincial government has been pulling out has been backstopped by the Trudeau government. And if the conservative gov- government comes in, that's going to get pulled out as well. And that will have such a domino effect on the local economy and not just this local economy, but all across the country. Sure. But there's no chance of a conservative majority. And there's very little chance of the conservatives holding power in a minority at this point if we're to go through the process. The best case scenario, in my opinion, has always been an NDP, MP, and MPP. But um, <laughs> uh, really, really, I think this comes into the, the into Sylvia's realm and into thinking right now, we may not be 
happy with our, our federal representatives at any level. But really, this is a time where we start looking at our municipal and regional partners and our leadership there. We've got, um, we've got great people working in the county. We've got great people working in the city. Um, I've, I'm impressed with, with the indigenous elected officials that I've been dealing with. We've got good people working to better community. So province and country be damned. And Mm -hmm. I I think it's important, Sean and everyone, that, in fact, what worries me a bit about municipal politics, and I will say locally, is that it's become much more partisan than it has been in the past. I worked over 15 years, both federally and provincially, with members of all parties. And my role as a municipal politician and as mayor was to do that. (laughs) And I'm a little concerned right now that there is a degree of partisanship creeping in that is not going to be helpful to the municipality or the people living in it, in fact. I would agree with you there, Sylvia. In in my role and in my capacity, I have to deal with all levels of government. So I have good relationships with all political parties, uh, whether they're in opposition, whether they're in power. I'm building those relationships up because it's what's best for the community. community. And that's your direct line to government. You need to have people that are willing to stand up for a community and say, and that's where your municipal government comes in. And two, and two of those people I worked with, in fact, had defeated me at two levels of government. Well, that was Bill Dom and, and Gary Stewart, and I worked well with Bill, and he with me, and Gary the same. It's a different ballgame. Now, just to bring us into a landing, I did, in my preparations for the program, make a list of scandals. I was going to read them out. I have decided that would be very dull radio. But, uh, and they fall into three categories. Very, very real, somewhat real, and empty smears. You know what they are. I, I, I got a basic list of 16 from elbow gate to, etc. Let's not go through that. But will any of them stick? No, they haven't. Nothing sticks. Nothing sticks. This okay. is still this is still a horse race, and it's going to last until people are done voting on Monday. Okay, Donald, we're looking at uh, at at the changing nature of of politics. Uh, politicians, for the most part, are are, are Teflon. Uh, stuff just slides off them. We have the president of the United States who goes out and willfully lies. Uh, you know, at every press conference he, he he gives, not once or twice, but for the entire time. Uh, the premier of Ontario, he does the same to to a slightly lesser degree. Uh, so the scandals are, are are no longer actually taking people down. Uh, there there was hopes that the the, the blackface, brownface whatever you want to call it would would be the end of trudeau uh the, the numbers really didn't didn't show any dip right. there at all uh a slight dip but he wrote it out um we we have our, our insurance uh, um <laughs> situation and again that it doesn't compare it doesn't compare yeah, yeah, yeah. no it doesn't i'm not saying that it does compare at all but what i'm saying but is it that it, it was a lie and it had and it ha- again had very little impact on the numbers so Social media has allowed crises and scandals to blossom and bloom and yet not have major impact. No, I just wanted to say about the smears and the scandals, I think they have no effect for two reasons. One, if it doesn't affect people personally anymore, people don't care. Like, they want to know what's in it for them. If it's not 
having any impact on their life. There's sure. little relevance to them. And it's kind of passe. Like, it's all been done. Like, I'm looking for the good news stories. That's what I'm looking right. for. I want to know, like, the good stuff about people. I don't care what somebody did 12 years ago. It doesn't matter. Policy, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Right. What are you going to do for my community? What's Tim. in it for me? Tim. Just one quick thing about the scandals and their effect. They only have a devastating effect if they corrupt your brand. Because this is marketing. This right. isn't as much politics. So the blackface, brownface hurt Trudeau. It'll always be part of his legacy. It will scar it forever because it was such a shocking revelation considering what his brand is. Andrew Shear lying about his resume and being dodgy about his passport. Donald Trump lying, Doug Ford lying. We kind of expect that. We kind of, we kind of expect that shamelessness so it doesn't affect them as much. Okay. I, 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 sure. I just totally. like to say I, I don't understand why anybody would lie about being an insurance agent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're down to uh, about two minutes left. Any final words on what's going to happen on Monday night? I'll just say quickly, I, I, I disagree with Sean a little bit. Yes, watch the Maritimes. Um, watch I the Mar- don't think it's going to turn out quite as orange as you think, but watch the Maritimes. The, the Conservatives are going to do very well in New Brunswick. If they start winning seats in Nova Scotia and winning seats, there's one they might win in, in PI. If they win two of them, then the Conservatives are in for a very good night. Okay. I would urge you to watch it for incisive local analysis. Uh, cable 10 at 9 o'clock, your TV. Me? I'm on with you. Oh, you're on with yeah. me. It's gonna, yeah. Shameless, shameless yeah. promotion all around. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sean? I think it's important that you, if you haven't already, go out and vote. And uh, if you have any capacity, pick your favorite candidate and go knock on doors. Pull the vote for them. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Keep your eyes on St. John's East, St. John's South, Mount Pearl. Keep your eyes on Halifax and Dartmouth, Coral Harbor. 170. 170. Um, and... And, and even if you're not sure which campaign you want to back, um, you know, you can still volunteer with them in getting at the vote. Uh, and, and that's a huge thing. Uh, so drag your friends, drag your enemies, drag whoever. Uh, just get it there and vote and bring as many people as possible. All right. And oh, sorry, on that yeah. note, uh, this has been our 18th program of 2019 here in Trent Radio. In addition to this radio show, we're streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast, uh, pintsandpolitics.ptvopodcasters.ca. The podcast uh, of this show you've just listened to edition number 70 will be uploaded Woo! by tomorrow night uh, we post on twitter at bill temp and on the facebook page uh pints and politics so join us uh, at 92.7 on your dial and we'll return in two weeks for another politics panel this will be our debrief of the election where voices will explain to you why what happened happened any feedback please let me know bill templeman at gmail.com <laughs> thanks for listening until thursday october 31st halloween when When we come back uh, for implications and results nationally and locally, this is Bill Templeman. Let's hope it's not a horror story. Welcome to the Warbler Hour on Trent Radio, where I play your favorite Warbler songs. Let's hear some new calls. This is the Black-Throated Blue Warbler. This is a song I love hearing, the Pine Warbler. Metal. Not now. I want to play metal. All right. Let's compromise and combine them. Trent Radio, 92.7 FM CFFF Peterborough, where anything is possible. <laughs>